how many storms did he need to come? How many holes would it take in his palm? And there ain't a thing he can't repair. Lord, how many crosses can you bear? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, Intercede for me. In the Liturgy of Good Friday, we read the Passion from the Gospel of St. John. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, and the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. Here is the man in Latin, Ecce homo. Behold the man. Lord Jesus, with a great sense of humility, with a great shame because we know that you're suffering this because of our own personal sins, we want to be daring enough to follow this advice of Pontius Pilate. Behold the man, to look at you, Lord, to look at you in the suffering that you undertake as a result of our sins and as a result of my sins personally, my sins put Jesus on the cross. My sins led to the scourging. My sins, Lord, led you to being insulted and and treated in this way that you above all people do not deserve. Behold the man, Lord, we see you crowned with thorns. We see the blood from those wounds in your head fall down into your eyes and down your face. We see the bruises from those blows that you received beginning the night before in the in the arrest in the garden. Lord, we see, even though you have that purple cloak wrapped around you, which makes you a mock king, we see some of the effects of the scourging on your shoulders, on your chest. We see those welts caused by those lashes. And we say to you, Lord, Lord, we're sorry. I'm sorry, Lord, for my sins. I'm sorry for my sinful past. I'm sorry for my sinful present. And if I could, I would tell you sorry in advance for the sins that I will commit in the future. Lord, have mercy on us. Behold the man, Ecce Omo. 
Latin has a fortuitous feature in that it doesn't have any any articles. It just says ecce homo, and we translate it properly as behold the man. That the, the primary sense of this phrase is look at this man, look at Jesus. But the Latin is richer because it also means behold man. Hey, look at man. Look at mankind. Look at humanity. Look at all men and women represented by this man. Ecce homo. Behold man. And when we behold humanity in Jesus, when we see all men and women in Jesus, we have a striking image of what sin does to God and what sin does to the image of God. To see you, Lord, mocked. To see you crowned with thorns to see you scourged, to see you later crucified, dying, to behold man in the situation, is to behold the true nature of evil. This is what evil does. It lashes out against goodness. It destroys and distorts and disfigures the image of God, which is humanity. And because God has united himself to humanity in Jesus Christ, Sin, all sin, is also striking out against God himself, trying to destroy God, killing God. Behold, man. Pilate does this to to provoke the compassion of the crowd. I am bringing out I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. And I'm gonna I'm trying to show you that he's innocent. And look how much he suffered already. Pilate said to them, Here is the man, Ece Omo. And paradoxically, it has the opposite effect. The evil at work in the passion is, is beyond a, a human evil. It's a spiritual, supernatural evil. It's the hour of Satan. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. As opposed to being moved to pity, to compassion, he suffered enough. He's innocent. Why do we need to keep hurting him? Why do we need to, why do we need to keep punishing him? The effect is the opposite. Finish him off. Kill him. Destroy him. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Pilate eventually capitulates, giving in to the political pressure of the Jews, the fear of insurrection, the fear of pressure from Rome. If there is an insurrection, Pilate lets them have their way, symbolically washes his hands of the matter. In the first preface of the Passion, which the Church uses at the very end of Lent, we, we pray this, Through the saving Passion of your Son, the whole world has received a heart to confess the infinite power of your Majesty. Since by the wondrous power of the cross, your judgment on the world is now revealed, 
and the authority of Christ crucified. This is a deep and helpful thought for us to ponder in our prayer on Good Friday. By the wondrous power of the cross, your judgment on the world is now revealed. What does the cross tell us about God's judgment on the world? How does the cross reveal to us what God thinks about the world, how God judges the world? Well, I think it's a double judgment. It has two sides. On the one side, it's a very negative judgment. We see Jesus on the cross. We see Jesus in his passion. And we realize how bad sin is, how evil, evil is. Behold the man. This is what sin does to goodness. This is what sin does to innocence. This is what evil does to God and to the image of God. It tears him up. It insults him. Tortures him. In the end, kills him. The judgment is a negative judgment of the world as sinful, of sin as evil. But at the same time, we know, Lord, that the, that the cross reveals a, a wonderfully positive judgment. It reveals to us, Lord, how much we mean to you and how much we mean to God the Father. To see Jesus on the cross, to see Jesus suffering so much and doing it willingly. No one takes my life from me, he says. I lay it down of my own accord. To see Jesus under, undergo all of this willingly to redeem us reveals a very positive judgment that God has of the world. It tells us this is how much God values us. What a price God is willing to pay to redeem us. The positive judgment revealed by the cross is the same sentiment that's revealed in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. God the Father gives his only Son up to this sentence to this fate. And God the Son freely takes it on. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. So Lord, as we behold the man, as we see you in your suffering today on this Good Friday, we ask you for forgiveness. We look at you with shame. We realize that we're responsible. We accept that negative judgment of our evil hearts, of our evil deeds. And at the same time, we thank you, Lord, for your great love, for your mysterious love, for the wonder of your mercy. One of the best sermons I've ever read on the, on the Passion is a sermon by St. John Henry Newman. It's one of his parochial and plain sermons. And it was preached, it was preached just as Holy Week was beginning on Palm Sunday. And in order to help people enter into the mystery of our Lord's suffering, St. John Henry Newman reflects on the agent at work here. Who is it that suffers this? Who is it that undergoes all of this mistreatment? 
it would be well, St. John Henry Newman preaches, it would be well if we opened our minds to what is meant by the doctrine of the Son of God dying on the cross for us. I do not say that we shall ever be able to solve the mystery of it, but we may understand in what that mystery consists, and that is what many men are deficient in. So we're not trying to solve the mystery, we're not trying to make it completely understandable or explainable, but we want to understand what's happening, right, and what this mystery consists, who is doing what. They have no clear views what the truth of the matter is. If they had, it would make them more serious than they are. I don't know if that was a, a an attempt at levity in this in this very serious and solemn sermon, but it might have been, right? St. John Henry Newman saying, well, if people understood the mystery of the cross, they would be more serious, right? They wouldn't be they wouldn't be as carefree. They would be more careful about their actions especially about their, about their sins. Let it be understood then that the Almighty Son of God, who had been in the bosom of the Father from everlasting, became man, became man as truly as he was always God. He was God from God, as the Creed says. That is, as being the Son of the Father, he had all those infinite perfections from the Father which the Father had, He was of one substance with the Father and was God because the Father was God. He was truly God, but he became as truly man. He became man yet so as not to cease in any respect being what he was before. He added a new nature to himself, yet so intimately that it was as if he had actually left his former self which he did not. The word became flesh. Even this would seem mystery and marvel enough. But even this was not all. Not only was he made man, but as the creed goes on to state, he was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. To help us understand the mystery, St. John Henry Newman here elucidates and very well summarizes the mystery of the Incarnation. There's only one person in Jesus Christ. There are two natures. There's the divine nature of the person of the Son of God, and there's the human nature that he takes on, which comes through the Blessed Virgin Mary. But there's only one person. There's only one agent. There's only one who. And the who, the person, in Christ, is divine, is God, is God the Son. Now here I say, Newman continues, is a fresh mystery in the history of his humiliation, and the thought of it will cast a new and solemn light on the chapters we shall read during the week. And these are chapters that we read today on Good Friday. I have said that after his incarnation, man's nature was as much and as truly Christ's as his divine attributes. 
St. Paul even speaks of God purchasing us with his own blood and the Lord of glory being killed, expressions which, more than any other, show how absolutely and simply he had put on him the nature of man. The blood that spilled on the cross, therefore, is the blood of God. It's no one else's blood. The person killed on the cross, therefore, is a divine person. There's no other person there. As the soul acts through the body as the as its instrument, in a more perfect way, but as intimately, did the eternal word of God act through the manhood which he had taken. So Newman is making the point here that just as we say, I see, right, the soul sees, but the soul sees through the body, the soul sees through the physical organs of the eyes. And when I say I hear, we can say our soul is hearing, but our soul sees through the body, through the physical organs of the ears, or I feel through my body, through my sense of touch, which is very bodily. The activity of the spirit of the soul takes place through the body as through its instrument. And St. John Henry Newman is saying here, well, the same thing happens, but in an even more intimate way with the divinity of Christ with regard to his humanity. That the divinity of Christ acts through the humanity of Christ. And the divinity of Christ suffers, the person of Christ suffers through the humanity of Christ. When he spoke, it was literally God speaking. When he suffered, it was God suffering. Not that the divine nature itself could suffer any more than our soul can see or hear, right, without the body. But as the soul sees and hears through the organs of the body, so God the Son suffered in that human nature which he had taken to himself and made his own. And in that nature, he did truly suffer. As truly as he framed the worlds through his almighty power, so through his human nature, Did he suffer? For when he came on earth, his manhood became as truly and personally his as his almighty power had been from everlasting. Think of this, all ye light-hearted, and consider whether with this thought you can read the last chapters of the four Gospels without fear and trembling. For instance, and now, Newman goes to quote from the Passion of Our Lord, instances in which our Lord indeed suffered. For instance, when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? The words must be said, though I hardly dare to say them. That officer lifted up his hand against God the Son. This is not a figurative way of speaking, or a rhetorical form of words, or a harsh, extreme, and unadvisable statement. It is a literal and simple truth. It is a great Catholic doctrine. Again, then they did spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands. The men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him, when they had blindfolded him, 
They struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him, and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Lastly, when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him between two malefactors. And even there they did not cease insulting and mocking him, but all of them, chief priests and people, stood beholding and bidding him come down from the cross. Now I bid you consider that that face so ruthlessly smitten was the face of God himself. The brows bloody with the thorns, the sacred body exposed to view and lacerated with the scourge, the hands nailed to the cross, and afterwards the side pierced with the spear. It was the blood and the sacred flesh and the hands and the temples and the side and the feet of God himself which the frenzied multitude then gazed upon. This is so fearful a thought that when the mind first masters it, surely it will be difficult to think of anything else, so that while we think of it, we must pray God to temper it to us and to give us strength to think of it rightly, thus to be too much for us. Taking into account, then, that Almighty God Himself, God the Son, was the sufferer, we shall understand better than we have hitherto the description given of Him by the evangelists. We shall see the meaning of His general demeanor, His silence, and the words He used when He spoke, and Pilate's awe of Him. After these passages, consider the words of the beloved disciple, in anticipation of his coming at the end of the world. And he goes on to quote here from the book of Apocalypse, from the book of Revelation. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Yes, we shall all of us for weal or for woe, one day see that holy countenance which wicked men struck and dishonored. We shall see those hands that were nailed to the cross, that side which was pierced. We shall see all this, and it will be the sight of the living God. Ecce homo. Behold the man. Lord, we will behold you when you come again in glory, whether we have died 
before that or not. We will see you in your glory. We will see that your resurrected body still has those wounds which killed you, which have turned into your trophies. The church calls the wounds of Christ his trophies, the emblems of his victory, the reminders of his victory. But Lord, when we see you again in your power, in your resurrected state, we don't want it to be for our woe, but as St. John Henry Newman says, rather for our weal, for our good. And in order for it to be such, in order for us to be happy and pleased at the judgment of Christ, at the coming of Christ, it's important for us, it's necessary for us to look at him now, to look at him on Good Friday, to look at him in our prayer. Behold the man. To see this double judgment of God on humanity revealed in the cross and to respond to it, to respond to it in the right way. We respond to the negative judgment by a rejection of sin, by an appeal to God's mercy, by confession and conversion, by working one by one, or perhaps several at a time on our defects, especially those defects which we know really offend God, which which threaten to separate us from him. And then we also work, Lord, in contemplating and recognizing and rejoicing in the positive judgment that's revealed on the cross. Your love for us is revealed on the cross. How much we mean to you is revealed on the cross. How merciful you are is revealed on the cross. Ecce homo. Look at, look at how much God loves you in man. Look at how much God loves you in this man who's suffering all of this out of love for you. The cross reveals God's love for us. And if we do this, if we take very seriously the negative judgment of the cross on our sinfulness and stand up to our sinfulness and reject it and receive God's mercy as much as possible whenever whenever we need to, in confession and also just in our prayer life and acts of contrition, and if we take that second side, that second positive judgment also seriously, which gives us a great confidence that God loves us, that God wants us to be better, that God wants us to be happy, that God wants to save us from sin, he wants to save us from the effects of sin, well, then we'll move towards holiness in a, in a real way, in a humble way, not counting in ourselves, but counting always in the grace of God and the mercy of God. Ecce homo. Behold the man. Behold man. Behold humanity. It's also a model for us. Our Lord wants us to be like him. He wants to live his life in us. And so in our Lord, when we contemplate you, Lord, ecce homo, behold the man, we also con- contemplate our own possibilities, our own possibility of loving to the point of sacrifice. Our own possibility of forgiving, even though it's very difficult, and when it costs us a lot to forgive. Our own possibility, Lord, of trusting God's plan, even when it entails great personal sacrifice, suffering, and pain. Ecce omo, behold in Christ what you're called to be. Behold in Christ what I'm called to be. Ecce omo. And we also behold the woman. We behold 
Our Lady. And she strengthens us. She lends us her peace. She lends us her hope. She lends us her, her stability. We behold her beholding him. Stabat Mater Dolorosa. Yuxta Kuchum Lacrimosa. She stands by the cross of her son, weeping. Our Lady, our Mother, our Lady at the foot of the cross, help us like you to behold the man. In our prayer, in the sacraments, in our life, to open ourselves to the judgment that God has on the world through the power of the cross. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. You take a chance, he'll meet you there. Lord, how many crosses can you bear? And there ain't a thing he can't repair Lord, how many crosses can you bear?